Hello everyone, welcome to Summit Church Fenton Online. I'm glad you've joined me today. And first thing I want to do is say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, of course, today's Mother's Day, and so I wish every mom out there a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day. I hope you enjoy your day. Hey, uh, what I have been doing over the last many weeks is conducting a series on the future. And so I want to continue that today. Uh, now, if you missed any of our previous sessions, you can go uh, to our archives and get caught up on anything you missed. I'm going to do almost no review today uh, because you can go to our archives and get caught up. But but in the last, uh, I, I will say this, in the last session, uh, I covered the last half of the tribulation period. We talked about how the Antichrist became the beast and how the false prophet came on the scene and uh, issued the mark of the beast and talked about the two witnesses that God uh, had ministering during the last half of the tribulation and how they were put to death and resurrected and then raptured. And so all of that is in our last session, which is in our archives. But uh, what all this is leading up to is the end, the very end of the tribulation period um, where the, uh, the Lord returns to fight the battle of Armageddon. And so let's pick up right there. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation, the 16th chapter, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 12 because this gives a setup for the battle of Armageddon and the return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then the sixth, this is Revelation 16, 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Now that's the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast. That's the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, now you think about this. These are unclean spirits, demon spirits that are uh, coming out of the mouths of the devil the Antichrist, who is the beast, and the false prophet. You know, this makes me think about the spiritual realm. You know, the spiritual realm is very, very real. And and I, I would say most Christians that I've dealt with over the last four decades are not as aware of spiritual things as they should be, don't realize what is really going on in the spiritual realm. But, uh, you know, so many Christians have the Hollywood version of the spiritual realm, um, you know, and think about Casper the Friendly Ghost, which is uh, was a cartoon on television when I was growing up. And uh, the spiritual realm has always been seemingly very nebulous to people. And But if you study the Bible, I mean, the spiritual realm is really, it's real. It's really more real than this natural realm. And, uh, I mean, they're over in the spiritual realm. I mean, <laughs> you've got angels. And there again, so many people think, including Christians, that angels are like fat little babies with wings. And <laughs> nothing could be any further from the truth than that. That's Hollywood's version of angels. I tell you what, angels are some of the most fascinating beings that you'll ever, ever encounter. And you can read about them in the Bible. In fact, I may teach a series on angels in the in the future sometime. 
and I mean, they are fascinating beings and there's, there's, uh, Angels who are, uh, uh, well, there's a, did you know that heaven has a communication department? It really does. And Gabriel is the head. He's the head angel of that department. And, uh, there's a, heaven has a war department and there are warring angels and, and, uh, Michael, the archangel, he's the head of that department, you know. And in fact, there are, there are worshiping angels and certainly, you know, uh, all angels would worship the Lord, the holy angels. A third of the angels fell, you know, back, back, way back before, uh, uh, Genesis 1-1 and, and they're fallen angels, but, but there's holy angels and all of the holy angels certainly worship the Lord, but there are, there, there are, uh, there, there's a worship, uh, worship department in heaven. A- absolutely. And actually Lucifer, was the head of that until he rebelled and fell and then, of course, led a third of the angels with him and, and, uh, uh, you know, they became fallen angels and, and Lucifer became known then as Satan. But, uh, but the, the spiritual realm is very, very real. And, I, you know, I, I like to think about when, uh, Elisha was surrounded by the, I believe it was the Assyrian, uh, uh, there was a, a, a band of, of soldiers or whatnot that was surrounding Elisha and his servant and, and the servant was, was all in a, in a panic and Elisha prayed and asked the Lord to open the servant's eyes and, and the, and the, and the, uh, the servant of, of Elisha the prophet, his, his spiritual eyes got open and he was able to see over in the spirit realm. And, and remember Elisha said that those that be with us are more than, than the enemy. And this servant was able to see over in the spirit realm and he saw, I mean, like chariots of fire and warring angels. I mean, that were there to help Elisha and his servant. Uh, what, what am I trying to say? You know, the spiritual realm is really very real. And, and, and I, I tell you what, on, on the demonic side, very, very real. And, uh, right here, think about this. Uh, he's talking about demon uh, spirits here that looked or appeared like frogs. And uh, I mean, just just fascinating anyway. But these uh, frog like demonic, uh, they look like frogs. These demon spirits came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And it says here in verse 14, for they are spirits of demons. You know, demons are very real. Just like angels are very real, de- demons are very, very real. They're spirit beings and, and, uh, very, very real. Thank God that the Christian has authority over them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. You need to realize that if you're a Christian, that you have authority over, over the devil and demons in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, so many Christians I've dealt with over the years don't, they don't have a clue about that. But absolutely, the Bible teaches that. But anyway, they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and, the, and of the whole world. Now notice what they were doing to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And so these demonic spirits like frog-like beings go out and influence the uh, kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather their armies to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And then verse 15, Behold, now this is the Lord talking, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked 
and uh, they see his shame. And then verse 16 says, And they gathered them, these demonic spirits, gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon. And so these frog-like demonic spirits go out and gather the armies of the earth over into the Middle East and into the, uh, I believe it's called the Valley of Megiddo. And it's uh, there, the, the, the greatest battle, or, uh, 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 the most awesome battle of all time, of all human history is going to be fought. And it's called Armageddon. And so when these armies are gathered there, and these would certainly be uh, armies influenced by the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And they're, they're gathered there to have a showdown with none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly, uh, we could make argument that they're gathered there to, uh, to utterly and completely destroy Israel, uh, as well. And, uh, but when all this is going on, something wonderful happens. And, uh, I'll read Matthew 24. And remember, I said to you last time, take Matthew chapter 24 and lay it over the book of Revelation, and it, it, it fits uh, Matthew 24 and Revelation, the whole book of Revelation, uh, uh, particularly starting in chapter, uh, I guess, chapter 6 of Revelation on, just fits like a hand inside of a, a tailor-made glove. Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6 on. Just fascinating. But here in Matthew 24, verse 30, the Lord Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You remember after Jesus was raised from the dead, and about, I think, 40 days after that, for the, you know, those 40 days, he would appear to his d disciples here on the earth, uh, at various times, but, but right at the end, uh, right before he was, uh, uh well, actually, as he was taken up, uh, he had given that charge to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person and so forth. And and then as he was taken up, he, the Bible says he was taken up into heaven uh, about 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. He was taken up into heaven and the disciples and those were out there standing looking up as Jesus was taken up into heaven on a cloud. And the, one of the angels were, there was an angel standing there and said to the disciples, you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus that was taken up from you here today will so come again in like manner. And now it's been about 2000 years since that time. And notice what the Bible says. They will see the son of man. That's Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now this right here, because remember the, the armies of the earth, the armies of the Antichrist have been gathered into the Middle East there, into Israel, into the Valley of Megiddo to fight this battle. And now Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back from heaven. Uh, it, it said on the, on the clouds, glory to God in the clouds. Won't that, won't that be something? And, uh, but, but you see, this is the second, known as the second coming of Christ. Now, uh, approximately seven years prior to this, as I've taught you in an earlier session, he came in what's known as the rapture of the church, where he did not set his feet down on the earth, but the believers, you know, the dead in Christ rose first, 
and then they are alive and remain or changed and caught up. We talked about that in a, in, a, in a previous session, and that happened about seven years prior to what we're talking about right here. But so Jesus comes then, but not not to set his feet on the ground and set up his kingdom. That's known as the rapture of the church. Then there's been a seven-year tribulation period, which we've been talking about. And now here at the end of the tribulation, we have the Lord coming back in what is known as the second coming of Christ. And they will see this, uh, this, uh, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 30. He's, and he's coming back to fight the battle of Armageddon. And now let's see how this fits right in with Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, 11, John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that white horse, because this is Jesus' horse. Now remember earlier in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, we saw a white horse rider, but that white horse rider was a, uh, was, was a, uh, well it was symbolic first of all, but it was symbolic of the Antichrist coming as a counterfeit, as a counterfeit Messiah. But now we got to, now we got the real, we got the real Messiah coming, the Lord Himself. And it, He says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. That's the Lord's horse. And I, I always say it's a whole lot, you know, white horse. You remember Lone Ranger had a white horse, Silver? Well, this horse, I guarantee it to you, is a whole lot, lot cooler than Silver. And, uh, anyway, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. That's the Lord. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So he's coming in the clouds, riding on a white horse. I mean, wow, you think about that. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, he could have come back on his chariot, but he didn't, he's not coming on chariots, coming on a white horse. And, uh, cool, just very cool. And his eyes, verse 12, were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Wow. Now, you know, uh, I mean, so there's more than one white horse in heaven. And this is talking about believers coming back with him, as we'll see. Um, but uh, the Lord's coming. And with the armies in heaven, now certainly angels are involved in this. There's no question about that in my mind. But in fine linen, white and clean, I, I believe that's making reference to the redemption which Jesus bought for us with his blood and made us white and clean in his blood. And uh, and I believe that these armies here, certainly angels, there's no question about that, but I believe that it's talking about, and I believe the Bible teaches that it's talking about redeemed saints. And, and I can prove that if you go to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, there's just one chapter, but notice verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. 
to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. But the, but the emphasis that I want to put right here is on verse 14. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And this is making reference to the second coming of Christ when the Lord comes back riding on, he comes back in the clouds riding on his white horse and the armies of heaven who are the redeemed saints of the Lord are going to come with him riding on white horses. Wow. And I, what I've taught on this over the years, I always say to folks, you know, need to go out and get yourself some horse riding lessons because you're going to be coming back. If you're born again and you know Jesus is your Savior, one day you're going to come back riding on a white horse with him. Praise God. And uh, to fight the battle of Armageddon. Now, that that's, that's just cool. So this is what lay in the future for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, back to Revelation 19, verse uh, 15. So he's coming back in the clouds on his white horse, followed by the armies of heaven, saints, of, certainly angels, all right. And, uh, but, but I believe this is making reference to redeemed saints. And uh, he's coming with ten thousands of his saints. And then, but anyway, Revelation 19, 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself, and I'll say more about that in, in a bit when, when I get to, uh, whether it's today or next time, when we talk about the characteristics of the millennium. But Jesus is coming back to the earth to fight the battle of Armageddon and, uh, and, and to, uh, set up an earthly kingdom that will go for a thousand, run for a thousand year period of time. Anyway, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And of course, that's the word of God. We understand that. And with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. That is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and he's coming back to fight the battle of Armageddon and to set up an earthly reign here that will go for a thousand years known as the millennial reign of Christ. Now, if you look at, uh, let's see here, Revelation 19, let's continue on, verse 17. Uh, then, then I saw an angel standing in the sun uh, and he cried with a loud voice. So he was standing in the sun, you know, as you look up, you'd see the angel, and I suppose the sun would be in the background. Uh, the sun, you know, the, the, the sun that gives us light here on the earth. And, uh, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them in the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the heart, on the horse, who sat on the horse and against his army. So this, you see, that's why the Antichrist and his armies have been gathered to the Middle East, which we've talked about, to fight 
this battle of Armageddon against the Lord Jesus Christ and his army. And, uh, and we know who's going to win. Jesus wins. Absolutely. And, uh, and he does. And this battle is fought. And, uh, as you study more into it, um, Jesus and his army, army of saints, uh, gonna absolutely devastate and destroy the army of the Antichrist completely and totally. And, and, and the, the interesting thing about it is, is that I can't find where the saints of God ever have to do any fighting in this battle. You know, uh, the battle is the Lord's. The victory is ours. He bat- does battle with his word and that word goes out of his mouth like a sharp two-edged sword and absolutely slaughters the armies of the Antichrist. And it's, uh, it, it, it's such a devastating defeat and the armies of the Antichrist are completely destroyed. And uh, I don't have the verse in my notes here, but uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says that the, the, um, that the blood, the, the, the devastation will, will be such, the word of God will destroy the, the devil and his armies and whatnot, the Antichrist armies, to the point that, that the blood, their blood will run to the horse's bridle. And you think about a horse's bridle, however high that is, probably what about right here, give or take if you can see, uh, for about 180 miles over there, in, in the Valley of Megiddo, you think about that blood, blood. I mean, this is going to be the most, uh, uh, I, I think the most numerous army that's ever been gathered, uh, on the earth, the armies of the Antichrist. And the word of God is going to completely, uh, utterly destroy them. And the blood is going to run to the horse's bridle for about 180 to 200 miles. You think about that. You think about that. An absolute, and, and total and complete defeat of the devil. And Jesus is going to do it with his word. His saints are not going to have to fight in this battle that I can find. I, I, we're going to be there to, to, to cheer the Lord Jesus on, to worship him and cheer him on uh, as I see it. Uh, but be that as it may, no fighting for us. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is ours. And, uh, and, and so he's going to do all the fighting and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, destroy the army of the devil. And, uh, that'll be a glorious thing. And so much so, not only will the blood be running, uh, for about two, 180 to 200 miles to the horse's bridle, but it, we just read where the, the birds of the air are going to be called to eat the flesh of the, of the fallen here, the, the Antichrist army that's, that's destroyed. Now, we also saw a similar, uh, feeding for the birds, uh, back in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And now some people teach that this, this right here, Battle of Armageddon, is in fact the Battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And, uh, I, I think that they are two separate battles. Uh, I heard a, a good Bible teacher say just the other day, uh, he, he thinks that the um, uh, uh, battle of uh, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is is something that culminates 
in other words, he thinks it's something that goes on for seven years and culminates here because in Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, the, the, these birds are eating the flesh there uh, uh, of the army of Gog and Magog. And if you missed that, I taught on that some weeks ago on, on Ezekiel. And uh, uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember what I titled it, but it was uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's in our archives just several weeks back. But but I I take the position that they're the battle of Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine and this battle are two different battles. But I could I could be right I could be wrong. And this good Bible teacher said the other day he said that the battle of Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine could be something that that starts in Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine and culminates here. And that would explain a lot of things as far as these birds eating the flesh of, of the fallen. Soldiers, uh, because you see that in Ezekiel 38, 39, and you see it here. So it's either two separate wars, or it's uh, it's a, a, a something that begins in Ezekiel 38, 39, and then and then dovetails and ends here. In either event, the birds are going to get their fill. Okay, and uh, but if you missed that teaching that I did on Ezekiel 38, 39, I'd recommend you go back and listen to it. I think it'd be worthwhile. But the armies of the Antichrist are going to be destroyed. Uh, you say, well, how does this affect me? Well, if nothing else, you're going to be riding on a white horse following the Lord coming back. So that's, that's something to think about. And, uh, but anyway, um, notice if you would here, uh, verse 19, Revelation 19, 19 says, and I saw the beast. That's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So of course, I've already told you that that the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. Then verse 20, then the beast was captured. And I know that because it says right here, the beast, the Antichrist was captured and with him the false prophet. And again, we talked extensively about the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet last time, but they were captured and uh, the false prophet and the beast were captured, this false prophet who worked signs in his presence, in the presence of the beast, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now we've talked about that. But then notice what happens. They're captured and these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So that's where the Antichrist is ultimately going to wind up. And his false prophet are ultimately going to wind up in the lake burning with fire and brimstone. And we'll see that this is eternal. Uh, they're not thrown in there and just consumed and that's the end of it. It's eternal and they'll burn forever and forever and forever. We'll see this in a future scripture here, either today or next time. But they're going to burn forever and forever. And... Uh, and then, and then verse 21, well, here it is. The rest were killed. This is the rest of the armies of the Antichrist were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Well, we talked about that, but just to reiterate, you see how powerful the word of God is. And, uh, and, and it, it, Jesus declared the word of God out of his mouth. And the armies of the Antichrist were destroyed, and there the Bible tells it tells it to us. And remember, now don't forget where the uh, Antichrist, the beast, you know, and the false prophet they go into the lake of fire. Now don't forget that. Don't forget where they're at, because that's where they're headed. Somebody asked me, do you think those two guys are alive on the earth right now? 
They could be. I, I don't know, but they could be. And uh, But at some point, they will be alive on the earth, and this is their eternal destiny. And, uh, and, and you know, I just, I just want to say this. It's their eternal destiny because they've chosen this. Um, if you, if you are following my teaching, remember when I taught on, uh, the, uh, lessons from the apostles. And we took a, uh, quite a while when we studied Judas. And, uh, and I talked about predestination and, and, and I'm not going to go through it all right here, but it'd do you well to go back and find that session that I taught on, uh, on the lessons of the apostles several weeks back on Judas, that he was the way he was, not because God made him that way, but because he chose to be a traitor. He chose it, his own free choice. And similarly here, this false prophet and this antichrist are the way they are because of their own free will. Now, they're human beings, okay? But they're cooperating with the devil and of their own free will, they're doing it and of their own free will, they rebel against Almighty God, against the Lord Jesus Christ, against the precious Holy Spirit, and as a result, they wind up eternally in the lake of fire. Now, once they're cast in the lake of fire and the uh, armies of the Antichrist have been defeated and uh, and their bodies are, you know, dead and the flesh is being eaten by the birds. Their spirits go to hell. There's no question because they've opposed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where people go when they die that oppose Jesus to hell. It's sad, but it's true. And then, of course, we noted what happened to the Antichrist, the beast, you know, and the false prophet. But what about the devil? What about the dragon? What what about him? Well, let's look at Revelation 20. Let's start with verse 1. Then I saw an angel, now this is John speaking here, and he says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Praise God, that will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, the devil finally bound up, shut up, bound up. What a wonderful thing. And uh, notice he's cast into the bottomless pit and shut him up. It'll be so good to shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So he's going to be, while the beast and the false prophet are burning in the lake of fire for this ensuing thousand years, which we're going to talk about here as we go. The devil is cast into the bottomless pit and shut up for a thousand years. And uh, and he'll be shut up there and locked up there during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. And uh, that'll be that'll be good to have the devil shut up and locked away. But after these things, he must be released for a little while or for a little season, the King James says. Now, underline that, make note of that, because I'm going to come back either today or next time and say something about this that I think will be fascinating uh, to you or will be interesting to you. And I think will will uh, uh, really something good I think I have to say about this. It'll explain some things to some people. Let me just wait. I'll get to it as I go, but I want you to mark that. But after these things, after the thousand years are finished, 
the devil's going to be released out of that bottomless pit for for a, a season of time, and something's going to happen when he's released. And I have some things to say about that that I think you'll find interesting. This is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, and then verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And we talked about that last time. And they live. Now underline that. A lot of people just read right over that so fast. They miss what happened. A major event happens right here. They lived. It was a resurrection. You see, at the beginning of the tribulation, actually before the tribulation begins, there's the rapture of the church. And we've talked about that extensively in a previous session. And everybody who lived from the time of Adam and Eve all the way down to the time that the rapture takes place all the believers uh, from Adam and Eve all the way down are going to be uh, uh, taken to heaven, okay? And we've talked about that. And then in a previous session, I talked to you about the first half of the tribulation period and multitudes of people are going to get saved during the first half of the tribulation. And, and the Bible makes clear that at the middle of the tribulation, before things get really, I mean, they're bad during the first half of the tribulation, but before they get really bad on the earth, there's going to be a rapture right there at mid-tribulation. Mid I call it the second bus load. <laughs> you get out on the first bus, but if you miss the first bus, you can get in on the second one. Because a lot of people get saved after after the the rapture takes place and you know, the lukewarm, lackadaisical, and, and heathens and whatnot. A lot of people are going to get saved during the first half of the tribulation under the ministry of those 144,000 Jewish evangelists. But there'll be a rapture in the middle of that trib tribulation. But then there'll also be people getting saved, as I told you last time, during the second half of the tribulation under the ministry of the two witnesses and even an angel, as I said last time, flying through the heavens proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only time in the Bible where I can find that an angel uh, directly preaches the gospel. But you see, God's so good, he wants to get the message out to everyone, give everyone a chance to be saved before the end of the age comes, you see. But back to this, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is talking about those who'd gotten saved during the second half of the tribulation and they would not receive the mark of the beast and all of that. Uh, let's read it again. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to beheaded. You think about that. During the second half of the tribulation, if a person gets saved during that time, they're going to, if they won't, if, 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 if they, you know, hold true to Jesus, they're going to get their heads chopped off. If they refuse to receive the mark of the beast and remain faithful to Jesus, they're going to get their heads chopped off. I'm talking about people that go into the second half of that tribulation, unbelievers. Uh, they made it through the first half of the tribulation, still not saved. They go into the second half of the tribulation. Uh, they get saved, but here comes the mark of the beast and they, re they refuse to receive it. They're going to get their heads chopped off. And, and, and many people get saved during the half, second half tribulation. Many people put to death by the Antichrist because they won't re, re, renounce Christ. And, uh, they, and because they won't take that mark, they'll be put to death. But that's what the Bible's talking about here. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, 
who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived. See, there's a resurrection right there. They lived. There's a resurrection. That's a big thing. Often gets overlooked. But right at the end of the tribulation, there's another resurrection, and all the people that got saved during the second half of the tribulation get resurrected. Same kind of thing that happened, you know, at, at the rapture of the church. And they're, they're, they're resurrected. They lived. Glory to God. And what happens? And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Isn't that something? That's wonderful. And then it says, but the rest of the dead, this is talking about the lost dead, those who do not know the Lord Jesus. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And we'll talk about that uh, in a future session. And that's known as the great white throne judgment. And that's a judgment for all those, uh, all unbelievers over all the, the millennia, uh, who, who, you know, those who didn't receive Jesus, you know, uh, that'll be a judgment for them. And it'll be a very sad day. And we'll talk about that in a future session. Uh, but it says the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years, years were finished. This is the first resurrection. See, when it says first resurrection, if you study into that, we could say it like this. This culminates the first resurrection. The first resurrection is known as the resurrection of the just. And it begins with the rapture of the church. And then there's uh, that middle of the tribulation uh, rapture. And then this right here culminates what's known as the first resurrection or the resurrection of the just or the resurrection of the, of the saved. And then there is another resurrection. It, it, the second resurrection is called uh, the resurrection unto damnation. And that takes place right before the uh, 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 great white throne judgment, which occurs at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. And we'll talk about that, as I said, in a future session. And then verse six, blessed and holy is he who has his part or who has part in the first resurrection. Now, that's 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 what we all want to get in on. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection Uh, 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 and and. The way to have part in that is to be saved, is to know Jesus as your Savior, to have repented of your sins, received Him, and trusted in Him, sold your life out to Him, and follow Him, the Lord Jesus. You'll get in on that first resurrection. You'll miss uh, an eternity of hell, and you get to be with the Lord for eternity. It says, Blessed and holy is He who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. Now the second death, what that's talking about is eternity in the lake of fire. See, right now there's a, there's a place of torment in existence right now. It's known as hell. And, uh, and, and when, when, when lost sinners die, people who don't know Jesus die, uh, that's where their spirit goes. I'm talking about their spirit being. Their bodies are buried here on the earth or cremated or whatever. But... Uh, but that's where their spirit goes. But there's another place, uh, as we'll see, beyond that, uh, which is known as the lake of fire, which is even, I think, far worse than, than hell, as bad as hell is. I think the lake of fire will be as bad or worse. And, uh, and we'll talk about that more in a future session. But, uh, this is the first, res- uh, I'm, I'm sorry, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. See, if you're born again 
and know Jesus as your Savior, that, that second death, that lake of fire, you'll never have to go there. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, But anyway, let's read verse 6 again. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death. The lake of fire has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. This is talking about every born-again believer. I'm talking from the days of Adam and Eve all the way, all the way down, all the way, all time. They will be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Years, glory to God. And so, after this uh, this this uh, battle of Armageddon, and you know it's interesting when Jesus comes back uh, before actually before he fights the battle, he's going to set his feet down. And you can read this in uh, in in the book of Zechariah, I believe, is where it is, where where he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And in fact, uh, the Bible there even gives you the weather forecast for that day. You know, God's a good weather forecaster. He knows the end from the beginning. He's better than the forecasters at the Weather Channel. I, you know, I guarantee you that. And, uh, uh, but be that as it may, uh, uh, he's going to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. There's going to be an earthquake and the mountains are going to split and all of that and, uh, uh, fight the Battle of Armageddon. And we've talked about all of that. But, um, but after, and in fact, um, you know, well, you ought to read the, the book of Zechariah sometime. I mean, it gives a lot of the details of, of, of what's going to happen uh, when the Lord returns. I, I, I'll not go into it now, but you know what? I think I might sometime in the future preach a series on the book of Zechariah. I think it'd be interesting. Um, I, I think we may do that, but um, down the road somewhere. But um, Jesus, after he comes back, fights the battle of Armageddon, he uh, sets up his throne in Jerusalem and he's going to rule there with a rod of iron for a thousand years and it's called the millennium. It's called the millennium. And, uh, and it's a thousand years, you see. A thousand years is a millennium and he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. Now this is the kingdom that the disciples wanted him to set up, you know, some of his disciples, I guess all of his disciples, they thought he was going to set this kingdom up when he came the first time. But uh, but that wasn't the time for it. And uh, But now in our study here, now it will be the time for it. And he's going to set up that earthly kingdom and uh, he's going to reign, the Bible says, with a rod of iron for a thousand years. Now, the rod of iron, what that means is is that he's going to have rules and regulations right in line with the Word of God, moral conduct, and everyone's going to have to follow that moral conduct. Or there'll be consequences. I'll tell you about that in a moment, or in a bit. Uh, but anyway, but here's the thing I want you to remember, and I'll probably reiterate this. During that millennial reign, he'll never make anybody worship him. Absolutely he won't. Now, he'll rule with a rod of iron. Everyone will have to obey what we would call his civil law, okay? The morality of the Word of God, absolutely. The morality of the Bible, absolutely. But the Lord never makes anybody worship him. And uh, now the devil sees just, just the opposite. He wants people to worship him. He tries to make people to worship him. 
You understand that? But the Lord, he's not that way. You're going to have to worship him of your own free will. He'll never make, he'll never make anybody worship him. But during this millennium, uh, people will have to follow his moral codes. Okay. And, uh, but, but anyway, I'll say more about that in a bit. But what happens, uh, is, is after he, he fights the battle of Armageddon and all of that, uh, as he's setting up his millennial kingdom, actually before he officially institutes it, there's uh, uh, an event that takes place. I'm just going to mention it. I won't go into it uh, with any great depth, but it's called the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. Now, you have to realize this. Uh, certainly the armies of the Antichrist are going to be destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. Certainly the armies but you have to realize, I mean, the world has still uh, got multitudes of people in it. You know, as you read the book of Revelation, there's there's certain percentages of the earth that, that of people that are killed and whatnot. And I, I didn't go into that in depth in this in this uh, teaching over the last several weeks. But there will be multitudes of people still alive that make it through the end of the. Uh, uh, you know, end, end of the tribulation period. And what the Lord is going to do, he's going to call those nations uh, together there into Israel for what's known in the Bible as the judgment of the nations. And uh, if, if you want to, for more on it, you could read Joel, the third chapter, and you could read Zechariah, the 14th chapter, and he gives more information on it. But I'll just... Keep it brief here. Let's go to Matthew 25. I'll read this out of the NIV, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Now, we, we've been talking about that. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him. So, you know, as I said earlier, we're going to be coming with Him, His saints on the white horses, but also angels with him, absolutely, and there's there's Bible for it. He will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations, verse 32, Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, it's interesting as you study into this a little bit, and I'll just keep it brief, but there's sheep nations and goat nations, okay? Now, the sheep nations are those people saved under the ministry of the uh, two witnesses and that angel that, that flew around there right at the end preaching the gospel, right at the end of the tribulation, preaching the gospel. And so these sheep nations are those people who uh, who who were saved under the ministry of the two witnesses and uh, who made it to the end, who w were not put to death by the Antichrist uh, uh, and so forth, as best as I can tell in, in Scripture. But but even, even so, and I think emphasis should be placed here on what I'm about to say, these nations had compassion on Israel. Compassion on Israel. And... Uh, uh, refused to receive the mark, yet made it alive through to the end of the tribulation. 
these people, and there will be vast multitudes of them, that had compassion on Israel. They made it. Let me read my notes. I want to get this straight. Those people, talking about sheep nations, those people saved under the ministry of the two witnesses and, and that angel who preached the gospel during the last half of the tribulation. And these people had compassion on Israel. And I have in my notes here, as a result of their salvation, have you ever noticed people that are truly born again to the Spirit of God love the nation of Israel? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and these people will have made it through the tribulation. Uh, they refused to receive the mark of the beast, yet they made it alive through the end of the tribulation. These are people who didn't get put to death by the Antichrist. And, and these are known as the sheep nations. And these will be put on the Lord's on one side and they will get to enter into the millennium, you see. And the goat nations, however, uh, uh, those who made it through to the end of the tribulation, but did not have compassion on Israel, were not saved. I think it's clear you can see it in in in, in the Bible that they're turned into hell. And it, it's very sad. But anyway, all I want you to get out of this right now is there's going to be a judgment of nations. I think it's important to mention because so many times uh, end time teaching on the end times, it gets overlooked. And I didn't do uh, in-depth teaching right here on it, but enough to at least... If nothing else, whet your appetite. If you're really interested, go to the Bible and, and, and study up on it. It's interesting, all the things that happen there. But then uh, after the judgment of the nations, uh, then the Lord uh, institutes his millennial reign, and it's known as the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord, and it's a thousand years. You know, in Scripture, the Day of the Lord is mentioned and uh, on many occasions, and and it's making reference uh, to his uh, millennial reign. It's a 1,000 years. And if you ever think about it, I believe the Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through Peter wrote that one day is with the Lord is a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is one day. So you think about that. 1,000 years now to me and you, that's a long time. But to the Lord, a 1,000 years comes and goes to us. It's like one day to him. And so... We're going to talk about the millennium, known as the Day of the Lord, and all the characteristics of the millennium. Now, the reason I'm spending time on this is because it has to do with our future. Absolutely. The future of, uh, of all of us are headed out that way, aren't we? And so uh, the millennium, and uh, uh, so few people really understand much about it. Over the years, I'd get questions on it, but... Uh, uh, so what I've done is I've put together some things, some some uh, bullet points, if you will, about things that are going to happen during the millennium, what life is going to be like. And uh, I think it's very interesting. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, unhook right now and we'll pick up next uh, week on uh, the characteristics of the millennium. And uh, and then we'll probably next week finish this series up and go on out through the great white throne judgment and on out into eternity. So uh, so so I believe it'll be good. So, hey, if you're so join me next week and we'll pick up right here with the millennium and so forth. Hey, if you're out there and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity to receive him right now. Um, these things are real and these things are in our futures. And I want to be sure you come down on the right side of things. I want to be sure that you get in on the resurrection of the just, not the resurrection of damnation. And the only way to do that is to repent of your sins 
and receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Cry out to Him. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So do that right now. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven one day, and He'll make your life worth living in the meantime. Now, God bless you, and I'll see you right here next week. And again, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Okay, bye-bye.